welcome back to the Goal Line Stand. All oh, football all the time. Presented as always by Michael's Glass Company, 215-338-3293. Tell them Mike and Brett sent you. We are a Sports Talk Philly partner, sportstalkphilly.com. Brett, how is it going? We are talking football again. We have a lot to talk about. Maybe a Mount Rushmore today? Maybe not. We'll see. Well, all is well. Hope all is well with our listeners. Um, Look, we're talking football. I get to talk football with you, so therefore I'm happy. Absolutely. And this is stuff that uh, pertains to our two fandoms, Eagles, Giants, and others around the world of of football. We get to do some fantasy booking, so to speak. Uh, The NCAA, we thank them for their decision to go to 12 teams in the playoffs, allegedly. So it'll give us an opportunity to talk about that. But let's get right to it. I figured this would be a good way to lead off the episode here. Uh, your favorite Philadelphia Eagle, Fletcher Cox, is in the news. And Fletcher Cox is apparently maybe not in the best of shape, maybe not in the best of mindsets. The Eagles, the rumor in your window is, are looking to shop the Cox and move him along this year before the season starts. All of them or just him? Just him. Okay, just wanted to clear that up. Well, it's not um, – you would think that if they wanted to move him, that they would try to keep quiet any stories about him not being in shape or disgruntled because that obviously hurts their bargaining position. So You would think that, but I, I feel like this is a different Eagles regime now. Like, I don't know what's going on. and. Maybe they're just brutally honest. I, I don't know. But the, I honestly thought when this news came out that the general consensus among Philadelphia sport Eagles fans and then Philadelphia sports writers would be, you can't do that. How could you do that? But it was actually the exact opposite. And it kind of goes to what you always say. You're better to move on from someone one year too early than one year too late. Yeah. If, frankly, I would tell you that with Fletcher Cox, probably I think – the one year too early may have been last year. Um, look, I do. I, I know I, I have shat on Fletcher Cox throughout last season. There was a point in time in his career where he was clearly the number two best defensive tackle. And I I don't say that in a sarcastic sense. The only reason he was number two is because there was this rare Hall of Fame talent of Aaron Donald out there. And just nobody is Aaron Donald. With that being said, Fletcher Cox, for at least a few years, was playing at a near Hall of Fame level. I don't, and I think his reputation has sort of, has sort of bought him the benefit of the doubt the last few years. Where to me, I've seen him, he still makes splash plays, but there's he's taking plays off or he's just getting handled in a way that someone of his ilk should not get handled. So, but yes, historically, you know, and I always cite to Eagles getting rid of Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor, which was very unpopular. But if you think about it, it was a fairly shrewd move. Granted, you had the replacements in-house already, but you got rid of them at the right time. So, I, you know, to me, in light of everything else going on with this team, you quarterback, everything else, I don't necessarily, by the time you're going to get to be a contender, I don't think 
Fletcher Fletcher Cox is going to be ancient by that point. You might as well move him to try to get some assets. Yeah, I would agree with you. And it's at this point, what are you getting out of him? You're right. You're getting a play here and a play there. And it's okay. It happens. Unless you're Aaron Donald, your special guys. You yeah. know, trying to, everybody, Father Time catches up with everybody at some point. But certain guys are Hall of Fame guys. Like Lawrence Taylor, it kind of felt, it, it just, it stopped. Reggie White, it just stopped. Yeah, but, you know, this you can you have kind of seen coming that you you've seen the slowdown. So yeah. okay, so let's move on. Let's maybe package him with Zach Ertz. I don't know. Move him on his own. If he's being a little bit of an issue in the locker room, you got to get rid of that right now. Now he's never had that reputation, so I, I would take it with a grain of salt. He's always, by all accounts, been a locker room leader. But if he's gonna if he's being an issue. You can't have that with a new coach. I think that's a very important point in that the one reason you might want to keep him around is if he is a locker room leader and is going to help bring along younger guys. But if he's becoming a malcontent and becoming a problem, then definitely just get rid of him. I would imagine the first call would be to the Colts. Why would you say such a thing? I don't know. Just, you know, just a guess. Or your Buffalo Bills. Well, that's a good one, too. I mean, look, there's a lot of teams that could use him. I still think he is hes still more than a serviceable defensive tackle. I just only took issue with, particularly when you would watch some of the broadcasts, the way they would laud him as this exalted figure, yet then in the play afterwards, he would just get blown up. He's still a good defensive tackle. He's probably still in the upper third of the league. He's just not what he once was. But again, if he's becoming an issue and he's not going to teach the young guys and help usher in this new era for the Eagles, then I would get rid of him. I would agree with you. Off script a little bit of guys being a little bit of malcontent. So let's talk Zach Ertz real quick. Rumor is, rumor and innuendo is that the Buffalo Bills are interested still. There is maybe some back channel conversations going on. They're going to the anchor bar. They're having wings. They should probably just go to uh, DePaul Steakhouse, 70s Lancaster Avenue in Ardmore, and and have those meatballs as an appetizer and get this job done. Or the shrimp. Or the shrimp. However, uh, they're not that we're aware of. Maybe they are. Yeah. Do you think that the Eagles must get rid of Zach Ertz at this point? The the organization has said, we're going to kind of let this roll. A tight end is a good weapon a good uh, crutch for a young quarterback but is he the guy or is he causing too much of an issue not showing up to mini camps uh, wanting out your thoughts yeah I, I would just trade him at this point honestly I actually think he's the second best tight end on the team uh, he's a very good receiving option I've always viewed him as soft he, he's not an inline tight end Dallas Goddard can do more uh, Dallas Goddard can be more of a quote-unquote friend Jalen Hurts on the field uh, in that he can block for him as well as catch. He's athletic. I think I think Dallas Goddard is one of the most underrated tight ends of the league. Yeah, I would just get what you can for him. On top of it, you know, yeah, all right, so maybe you're not necessarily going to get the draft capital that you would like, but you're also next year, you're, same thing with Fletcher Cox, you're freeing up salary 
when the salary cap is going to be go almost back to normal, it's going to be above two hundred million, and you're going to be in much better salary cap position to add to a team that's growing. Makes a lot of sense to me. I would actually agree with you on this one. Hi, Karen. Shut the door. It, it's it's opening. It'll be closing in a moment. That's there. We go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sticking in the NFC East, some sad news uh, for your New York Football Giants. This news came out uh, last week, and Jim Fossil led the Giants to Super Bowl thirty-five. Right. Yeah. Uh, passed away at seventy-one. Yeah, 71. 71, yeah. and I believe he was in Vegas. With it. He was in a hospital in Las Vegas. I'm going to let you take it over. You're the, you're the Giants aficionado, and I thought your words on at GL Stan Show were, were, pretty, were pretty poignant. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, um, obviously all – look, anyone's coach – any coach's run, unless it ends in sort of the Jerome Bettis way where you, you sort of just leave when you're on top – it always seems to end in a negative note, and that was sort of the the unfortunate thing with the John, uh, Jim Fossil era. But, you know, when you look back on it, he did provide a lot of uh, memories. And, I, you know, I think it's something that I really enjoy when we do our countdown on uh, our Instagram feed, at GL Stand Show, is you get to see all these old players who wore the different numbers. And, you know, at some point, you know, when we were watching them, we had these feelings towards them, but in the end, it's all about memories. That's really what this all comes down to. And Jim Fossil was the head man in charge for three very memorable seasons came in right away. Um, first, you know, by the way, do you know his background? So he played in the NFL. Then he played in the world football league for the Hawaiians. Did you know that? I, I did know that. Did Wasn't Spurrier on that team too? Yeah, I mean, the, Jim Fossil was a well-traveled guy. Played so he played in the NFL, then he played actually in the CFL for the Argonauts. Uh, I don't know if he ever scored a rouge. Uh, that remains to be seen. But then he was played for the Hawaiians. You know, I mean, he was all over with Utah, Weber State, Stanford. That's, that's uh, the USFL. I mean, this guy, every imaginable league, this guy was in. Right, because wasn't he a coach in the – was he in the United Football League? After? Oh, yeah. He was like the Vince Lombardi of the UFL. Yeah. He won two championships there, and that's why he stayed in Vegas. Okay. Because he okay. was with the Vegas right. team. But, yeah, so going back to his time with the Giants uh, in 1997, you know, he, he comes in. He was actually the first NFC East coach to win the division and have his team go undefeated in the NFC East. So there's a little trivia there. Went 10-5-1. and one, We lost – to the Vikings in a gut-wrenching wild-card loss. A few years later, 2000, uh, took what's known as the worst-ever team to get a home-field advantage, and I'm not trying to rub it in. We you know, we beat the Eagles in the divisional That's, round. That the, Ron, the, Se- the Seahorn game, right? Yeah, Ron Dixon returns yeah. Seahorn. It's f- <laughs> Some people refer to that as the Seahorn game. I always refer to it as the Ron Dixon return. Well, I just blame it on McNabb as, as an Eagles fan. So it was you guys were it was just if the to me, if the Eagles didn't go through what they did with the Giants for that year, and actually it was a few years in a row the Giants dominated the rivalry. Right. And that's what taught them to get over the hump. And the oh, next year they did. I agree with you. The, the thing you're glossing over there in that run 
I would, yeah. 35 is, is the guarantee. Is the guarantee. Yeah. So the Giants start out seven and two, and they then lose two straight games. And this was our senior year. So I went to every game. Um, seven and two, they lost to the Rams, who were the defending Super Bowl champions, as well as the Detroit Lions. They got the seven and four. You know, New York papers are like, look, you guys are going to go. Yeah, New York papers are calling for Fossil's head and everything else. Meanwhile, they're seven and four. By seven the and four. Seven and four. I would and, take seven and four any day. Seven and four. Mike and the Mad Dog went fired. Yeah. So, in a famous Monday press conference, um, Jim Fossil does the whole "I'm raising the stakes, I'm raising the ante." Anyone wants in, get in. Anyone wants out, get out. And he says this this team is going to the playoffs. I guarantee it. And from there. Uh, the Giants won. Uh, you know, they won the remainder of their games in the regular season. Uh, Minnesota choked, so the Giants ended up as the number one seed. Then they defeated the Eagles, and then they destroyed the Vikings forty-one nothing to win the NFC Championship game. And unfortunately, ran into the Baltimore Ravens, lost thirty-four to seven. But you know, as much as like, and Mike, I mean, you know, for instance, like Super Bowl thirty-nine with the. Uh, Eagles and the Patriots. As much as that game sucked, you know, you look back at that season, there's a lot of memorable moments. You look back at the Eagles, Falcons, um, NFC Championship game glowingly, right? You know what I mean? So to me, I always thank him because it gave me the opportunity to go to a conference championship game at Giant Stadium with my father. 1986, I was too young. I couldn't go. I was only three years old. So to me, you know, I appreciate that greatly. And then lastly, in 02, well, also one other thing, Jim Fossil was highly commended for his response after 9-11. He was, other than I think Bob, I mean, Bobby Valentine did a really nice job. Jim Fossil was telling the team to go into the, into the city, help out, go to different um, fire stations, you know, different engines, whatnot, and you know, he was very, I don't want to use the word charitable, maybe the word patriotics a little better, but, you know, that was obviously a difficult time. The Giants lost several close games, ended up going 7-9, and nine. but then in 2 they bounced back. That was the Jeremy Shockey rookie year. They beat the Eagles in the last game to win the last seed in the wild card, and then we choked against the Niners. But it was a memorable eight years, seven years, excuse me. And I thank him for the memories. And, you know, for all accounts, it was really interesting to see a lot of the players, um, you know, on Twitter, thank him, you know, Strahan and everyone. Although I got to say Tiki Barber had a very glowing, eloquent, uh, you know, eulogy or, you know, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And New York Giant fans are like, Rest in peace, Coach Fossil, Tiki Barbie. You're still a shithead. They just cannot let go of the Tiki. Neither, neither can I. I can't stand the guy. So, but Jim Fossil, rest in peace. Our condolences to the family. And um, on my behalf, thank you very much for some wonderful memories. It was an interesting time. Where would you rank him in the pantheon of giant of Giants coaches? And to me, this is just me, right? Like, yeah. I'm, an, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm an outsider. It's Parcells. It's Coughlin. I, I don't think of him. 
I mean, I think of him as a Giants coach, but where does he rank? Well, so here's the problem. There are a lot of great. You go back to Hall of Famer Steve Owen from he was, I mean, this is the guy who invented the umbrella defense and let's, had let's the Giants. It, let's call it Super Bowl era. Okay, Super Super Bowl era, he is the third best coach of the Giants. That's not bad. No, that's pretty good. And, and consider and it, it makes sense because he was the third coach to bring them to uh, a a Super Bowl. Some people might argue Ray Perkins because Ray Perkins is the one that really turned them around, but I would give it to Fossil. Thoughts and prayers with the Fossil family and Giants fans everywhere. I mean, it's never it's never an easy thing. And look, we're we're we we root against each other, but you never want to see you never want to see anything like that. No, and it, yeah, it's just a strange thing because I mean, you I remember him like his first season. He seemed like this young guy. He was like. He almost came across like a computer geek. He was a lot different than most giant coaches. And by the time he, you know, in 2002, 2003, he had gone to a Super Bowl. He just seemed to grow into the position um, and grow in stature. And, and obviously he got older a little bit. Uh, and it, it, it's just sad to see, you know, obviously, um, you know, losing his life, uh, you know, 71. Yeah, I think, frankly, that's still a little too early. And, uh but yeah, most importantly, uh, condolences to his family. And John and his son is considered one of the deans of special teams coaching uh, right now with the Cowboys. So, yep. Let's let's move on to a little bit of a lighter note here. Uh, the college football playoff committee has decided they are going to put forth uh, a proposal of changing the playoffs and. When they say put forth, I don't know who's going to vote on this thing. This I know there is a committee, yeah. but if the committee is putting it forth, I don't know who's voting on it. Nonetheless, here is the proposal as it reads. Uh, format for a new playoffs. So it'll be a 12-team playoff. Yep. Four highest-ranked highest conference champions would be seated one through four, each team receiving a first-round bye. Teams five through 12 would play each other in the first round, on the home field of the higher-ranked team, 5 versus 12, 6 versus 11, 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9. Quarterfinals and semifinals will be played in bowl games, similar to how they are now. Championship game would, be, would remain at a neutral site. The first-round games would take place on campus sometime during the two-week period after the conference championship games. Quarterfinals would be played on January 1st or January 2nd, depending on how New Year's falls, and or on an adjacent day. Semifinals and championship games are to be determined. Semifinals will likely not be played as a double header. Your thoughts on, one, the 12 teams, thumbs up, thumbs down, two, the format. I wish it, this is one of the times I wish I was an octopus because I wish I could give eight thumbs up. I'm, to me... I wish we could have had eight teams, but to get 12, even better. This is fantastic, super excited, and I believe this is ultimately the vehicle, which is at some point during the Greg Schiano era, going to get Rutgers into the national ch champ college football playoffs. You heard it here. Wow. I wasn't, yes. even, I wasn't even setting you up for that. I agree with you. I like the 12 team. I, I agree. I, I think eight, maybe 10 would have been fine. If you want to go 12, go 12. 
14, 16. Let's have at it. We have 138 of them or whatever it is. Did you see, um, I believe they showed how it would have worked out had it been applied to the 2020 season. I mean, Coastal Carolina would have been in it and you had Cincinnati. So this helps out group of, it really helps out everybody, you know, it, and even Notre Dame, which, cause that was one of the big problems. It takes care of Notre Dame. Well, they don't get a buy. Did you hear that? Who doesn't get a buy? Notre well, that's Dame? the only no, Notre Dame is screwed in that sense. Huh. I would they maybe they'll the change. ACC. They might change it and say, well, you know, if you're an independent, they could always include some language where if you're a top four ranked team and you don't happen to be in a conference, then you get, you know, that's an easy fix, frankly. Sure. Well, so that's going to bring up my next question. Yeah. Now that this is this is going to happen, yeah. I, I, whomever is voting on it, I, I, again, it, the committee that's creating the, the proposal is the committee voting on it. I don't know why they didn't just say this is how it's going to go. They yeah. don't have to do it within the NCAA structure. At least I don't think they do. Yeah. And all right, so it, this is going to happen. Is this going to set off another round of conference realignment? Oh my! I'm thinking of. Your Notre Dame's, maybe BYU is a good example from, from a, a year ago, right? They're an independent. Now, they've been courted by the Big 12. They've been courted by the WAC. Or not, they, they were in the WAC. They were, they've been courted by the uh, PAC, whatever, 94. Is this going to be a, okay, certain schools are going to say, we need to go find a home so that we can be included? Not See, actually, I think that by going to 12, not necessarily. Because if you're BYU, think about BYU prior to losing to Coastal Carolina. They were a highly ranked team. You could sort of schedule it in a sense of, you know, have a lesser power five teams, some group of five teams. Now you're going to be sacrificing one of those top four spots. But BYU might end up being a team that always gets in as like number 11 or number 10. And I think that's enough to sustain them as a potential national powerhouse. So they may not necessarily be looking to get into a conference. You know, I, I think ultimately, look, you know, I, if you're a team in the MAC, I think maybe once every five years, you'll have a team that gets into the top 12. The American Athletic Conference usually has one or two up there. So I don't necessarily see this being, except for maybe be, and Notre Dame I think is probably the best one. But again, I think there's an easy fix you could do with the language about independence. I don't see the the conference jumping now that they've gone to twelve. Okay, uh, I I, I, I want to see how it plays out. Like I want to see if Cincinnati and the American. I know that they said they would, but would they really, or would the voters vote differently? knowing that you could get a certain SEC matchups because there's always an SEC bias. You know, would you would Cincinnati say, God, man, we really need to go find, we need to go talk to the Big 12, Houston. We need to go talk to the Big 12, and we need to get in, so on and so forth. UConn, we need to get into the FBS. I don't know. Maybe we'll just drop down a bunch of fucking pricks. Good hot dogs. Great hot dogs. Idiot people. Yes, absolutely morons. And for those that don't know, even though we've mentioned this on multiple episodes, we went to a game in 2011. We got spat on. 
including were, the rest of the Rutgers fans by UConn fans. They were a bunch of Nazis. That's what they were. Bunch of yeah, that, that, so, okay. They had the helmet on. <laughs> we got spat on. It was a shitty experience. So bunch of fucks. In <laughs> nevertheless, stadium. Um, I think ultimately where this is going to go if this works out. I think is there there will be a push for 16. And if there's a push for 16, then you don't need to switch conferences at all. That is a good point. I think 16 is probably going to be the sweet spot number. And if this yeah, works, 12 is works, great. I, yeah. I am thrilled that it's not just eight. My only thing is I love that in the first round you get home games, but I wish the quarterfinals were. That's apparently another issue. So, for instance, like, of course, Alabama and Clemson are going to be missing out on having a home game and having that home revenue. Well, you what do you do with that revenue? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I would question. put it into a pool and just divvy it up with all 16 teams. That's a good question. And us being Big Ten fans, I haven't seen anything. You know what? That is a great question on a Thursday for you because you're on top of it more than I am to ask the staff. That that is true. Uh, they do. They seem to like my questions. I know they answer yours. They never answer mine, so I don't ask anymore. No. Let's move on. We are going to discuss on our next episode the AFC South Mount Rushmore, and that is a nice lead into Julio Jones. No longer an Atlanta Falcon, is he on their Mount Rushmore? You're going to have to wait to find out. I will let you know. But let's talk Julio Jones, Tennessee Titans. Are you surprised that's where he ended up? No, he. So I, I want to pat myself on the back when we, I forget which episode we initially broached the topic. By the way, I really like the word broached. Just throwing that out there. It's a good word. It's just, you know, I just wanted to let everybody know that. But when we did broach the topic, I did say that the Titans would be one of the teams where it makes sense. Frankly, I think the Titans desperately needed them. You know, they lost Corey Davis, uh, John U. Smith in free agency. They didn't necessarily replace uh, either of those guys in the draft. I mean, they went with Caleb Farley in the first round, the quarterback from Virginia Tech. So now you have Ryan Tannehill, who, by the way, since he took over uh, for Marcus Mariota, his stats are almost comparable to Patrick Mahomes. He really is one of the more underrated and, and also one of the better quarterbacks in this league. A.J. Brown is an emerging star. Julio Jones, if he can stay healthy, that is a nasty one-two punch. Then you throw in the running game. This is it, it, The offense is very good. Ultimately, and I'm sure we'll get into this when we do our 32-team uh, previews, uh, the Titans, I think the defense is still a problem. This is a great move by the Titans. To me, I don't understand what the hell the Falcons are doing. That's my big issue. Yeah, I don't think the Falcons understand what the hell the Falcons are doing. You know, you, you have a, a quarterback, Matt Ryan, who is he's at the end. He's at the end of the uh, end of the line here. Do you make another? It, it seemed like they were going to make another effort, right, at making a run. Yeah, things changed down in Atlanta, but now what, what does he have? I, I mean, he has a rookie that's been unproven in the NFL, so you could say, oh, he's Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he's on the field. Yeah. But until he shows up in between the lines, you have nothing. Yeah, you. I think both of us would agree that this was an unusual quarterback class, 
or one that doesn't necessarily come around. It comes around like maybe once every five years, right? You had the opportunity to draft Justin Fields. And instead, you drafted a tight end. So, look, George Kittle, I mean, would I like George Kittle or would I like Travis Kelsey on my team? Hell yes. But if you don't have anything around either of them, your team will easily go 1-15 and and you'll have – look, Darren Waller is probably the next best tight end. And Oakland can't make the playoffs, okay? Matt Ryan, does Matt Ryan have one or two good years left? Perhaps. I don't think he ever is going to go back to the level – he once was when he was an he was an MVP. He was the league MVP. So you have a guy like Justin Fields on the board. You pass on him for Kyle Pitts, and then you trade away Julio Jones. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. If you had to build a Mount Rushmore for Atlanta Falcons, would he be on yours? Hold Perhaps. on, hold that oh. thought. We will discuss that on Wednesday when we discuss our AFC South. Mount Rushmore's. Well, wouldn't that be the NFC South? That would be the NFC South. I just okay. put them in a different conference. What do you want me to do? I, you're getting me confused for a moment. I just, our I NFC just wanted South. to clarify. Our NFC South, Mount Rushmore's. So you're oh. saying we're going to be broaching the NFC South. We are going to be broaching the NFC South, Mount Rushmore's. <laughs> I'm Mike. That's Brett. Join us on Wednesday when we discuss the NFC South and we broach the subject on the goal line stand.